Talk Radio. Friday night is our study circle at 7.30 as well. 
tonight, the time and what must be done. So just want to let you know, once again, this is Brother Terrence Muhammad. You can call in 563-999-3065, 563-999-3065, press 1. If you have a question or a comment, but we want to go ahead and get this on the road. And for those that hear my voice and wonder where your sister is, we say God willing she'll be on the show. And we will be waiting on to hear her. But meanwhile, we want you to enjoy the conversation. And we want to bring on our first contributor to this wonderful conversation. She always brings this great voice, this very powerful amount of information straight from the shy. And she's not going to be, even though she's from the shy, I hope she's not going to be shy tonight and not talk about some of her live feeds that she's been doing lately on Facebook Live, giving us some great information. Uh, Her book is just going crazy, and you need to know about her book. But first, she's going to talk about some issues of COVID-19, but she will not leave the conversation without giving us some more about some of the great instructions <laughs> and lessons she's been teaching us on Facebook Live, our sister, Sister Mariam. <laughs> Welcome to the show. As-salamu alaykum. <laughs> alaykum salam. How are you? <laughs> oh, I am, as always, fine by the grace of Allah. How are you? Yes, 
Now, right. people may not think, may not even consider that or think of that, but absolutely, having um, inflammation on the heart can cause cancer. It can cause autoimmune diseases. There's a lot that it can lead to. We don't want that. So please continue to stay safe, continue to be cautious, continue to wash your hands, wear your mask. I'm starting to see us getting real comfortable. Um, I even had to correct a couple of our brothers that were like mm-hmm. in a, 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 a huddle together or what have you, and they having conversations. And I'm like, you know, you, I understand we get excited because we haven't seen each other in a while. But at the same That's time, right. I don't know where you've been, and I don't know who you've been around. Put your mask on when you're having conversation. Go ahead and keep that social distance in place because a lot of us are not symptomatic. So just the, well, let me go ahead and, and take the temperature and then if your temperature checks out, I'll go ahead and let you in. That's not always good enough because some of us may not have a temperature. So just be careful. Be absolutely careful at all times. We don't want COVID, and we don't want the residual effects from COVID. Um, and with that being said, yes, Brother Terrence, I have been blessed to be a part of some Facebook Lives. Um, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, Brother um, Brandon is doing the Black Wives Matter movement um, where we were discussing um, the importance of that because some people think that black wives just don't exist anymore. So that really turned into an empowering discussion just for women, period, um, who may have hopes of getting married or just want to remain married. So it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I've been blessed to be a part of a lot of discussions lately, thank Allah, um, with, of course, um, leading because of my book, The Power to Break Generational Pain. And as you stated, yes, the sales are doing very well, thank Allah, um, where the book is on Amazon, but also on my website. I also have started to produce my passion, which is, uh, well, one of my passions, which is um, creating milk baths. So I started selling those on my website as well. And thank a lot, getting nice reviews from it. So just trying okay, to really okay. get us in that that healing zone. To get to, we really need to be in in the healing space and to get through. Too many of us are experiencing death personally in our families or our friends, and we just really need help with mentally getting through that. So I have. Um, become a part of the the movement of helping us to mentally heal. And also um, after our show here um, in dealing with the the mothers who are dying during childbirth, um, I started uh, a movement for that as well. So pretty much just putting it on my page and asking other sisters to share for us to really push for our black sisters, uh, black and brown sisters to go and get prenatal care, get the care that they need, but also for us to seek out the good doctors at the ob and midwives across the country and start sharing that information so we will know where to go to um, actually obtain a good doctor that cares about the health of us and our unborn children. So, Yes, thank a lot. It's it's been a lot going on, and I'm super excited. Um, but um, oh gosh, I just thank a lot so much. I can't wait to hear from our sister, Sister Minister Ava. 
Um, and Brother Terrence, I know that you have some updates for us too because you be letting us go and letting us know what's going on out here in these streets and what's going down. I don't know what you're so talking about, but I'm, yes, ma'am. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that too because I we need to know what's going on out here in these streets and and behind the scenes and all of the good stuff that they don't like to put on the news. But we become our own news, and you are a vital source of that, letting us know what's going on out here that we can't just turn on NBC and find out what, what's going on in our community. So thank you for that, Brother Terrence. So let us know what's going down. Oh, boy, this is so wonderful and fun. Once again, you're tuned in to Elevated Places. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Sister Maria, man, we will be following up with your information about our sister, Sister Tamika Mallory, who we love, we care about. Also, our sister yes. Linda Sassor, who's out there on the front run, front lines, and our mm-hmm. brother, my son, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. They took residence in Louisville, Kentucky, to make sure we kept up the case uh, for Breonna Taylor and everybody know about what's mm-hmm. going on about our sister Breonna Taylor and the murderers and killers of Breonna Taylor and everything that's going on. There's a lot going around that case, and please continue to follow what is going on around her. Um, One of the things, before I bring up our brother from the Down Under, I just want to say uh, we did have a successful weekend in New Orleans, New Orleans, at the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, We pay uh, respect to our ancestors and those that were lost uh, down in New Orleans in the Ninth Ward. We was by the levees. And which is very interesting because uh, people in New Orleans that talk about Hurricane Katrina, we talk about the hurricane, but some people say they remember after the hurricane it was calm and it was a sunny day, and then they heard an explosion. And some people even say they saw smoke. And so some people have a narrative that it wasn't Hurricane Katrina, but it was the blowing up of the levees that allowed the water to flood the Ninth Ward. And now we're seeing the regentrification of the Ninth Ward. So there's a lot of different conversations around that. I met a brother named Robert Green who lost his daughter. He watched his daughter, his granddaughter, go down the water. Uh, his house was lifted off his foundation and lifted two blocks away. Uh, he was able to rescue mm. his mother. She was hanging on the pole, but his mother did not survive the wow. seven days on the roof, uh, so she died. So they have a commemoration every year um, for her and them. Um, so, you know, in New Orleans, oh, we did a, a, a nice ceremony for the ancestors remembering the names, and we did a second mm-hmm. line, and almost kind of got, on. I was happy and I was excited, but I was also almost in tears to see the resilience of a people who have suffered so much and still suffering because they have not really built back our communities the way they need to be built That's back right. in New Orleans, just like they haven't built back in anywhere, even Puerto Rico, even in Texas, when our destruction in our communities have happened. Uh, but to see the resilience in the people and the joy, it was wonderful being down there with my friend Seth Four Five, or artist, and the commemoration uh, lead, uh, the person who was in the lead for this, uh, and Sino and Wild Wayne, and having talking to Mia X uh, and Sunny Patterson, all those that contributed and helped for this. I event. love her. And also, uh, who also got your book? And uh, also, yes, the March on Washington. <laughs> the March on Washington, the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington, sponsored by National Action Network, Al Sharpton and Reverend Martin Luther King III. It was a very successful event. Uh, they had nearly 100,000 people there in D.C. in the Lincoln Memorial. At first, 
uh, the organization, and I know some of the backgrounds checked. You know, they had the the meters to check the temperature. They gave them wristbands. They organized social distancing. But at a certain point, our people, we just, you know, we just let go. And yeah. so as you saw on TV or you can go to National Action Network uh, Facebook page or their actual website, you can go back and see all of the speeches and the uh, conversation, Jake, um, Jacob Blake's father who got killed in Wisconsin, and all the issues that are going on in Wisconsin are very interesting. As a white boy that killed two in Wisconsin was walking with the police with his his arm, but now we got another man that was killed in D.C. on the other day shot in the back. So more people are being mm. uh, killed, and also uh, movement for Black Lives Matter. They had a live virtual march last Friday. All of this was Friday. Katrina was Saturday. March on Washington was on Friday. But when we talked about Tamika Mallory, I also thought about we want to remember and help support those that will be shutting down the Kentucky Derby uh, to bring attention to Breonna yeah. Taylor. So there's a scheduled protest, um, you know, to make sure that attention is kept on and not forgotten about Brianna Taylor. Um, some things we want to try to wrap up before I bring on my brother. Uh, it's very funny. We have another imposter, another imposter alert, another imposter alert. Uh, Afro-Latina mm. activist is really a white Jewish woman pretending to be black. Wow. Afro-Latino activist is really a white Jewish woman acting black. And that is mm. on news1.com. You can go get all of that information in that. And I'm like, why are y'all really Ridiculous. trying to be like us? But it's it's crazy. Right. But the last point I will bring up is that I'm tired of hashtag. I'm tired of hashtag. I'm tired of hashtag. So go to projectseparation.com, uh, projectseparation.com. And I bring that up Come is on. I'm going to give a short analogy of what we uh, use in an anti-racism, undoing racism training. I'm going to give you the short version. The short version is you at a lake, and this fish pops up on the shore uh, from this lake, and this fish pops up, and you wonder why this fish is just popping up out of the lake. You're looking at the fish, and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with the fish. You analyze the fish, and you try to figure out what's wrong with the fish. But then another day, you see all of the fish are out of the water and on the shore, and you're now not looking at individual fishes and trying to figure out what's wrong with each fish you're now going to figure out what's wrong with the lake. What's wrong with all these dead fish coming up the shore? It must be something wrong with the lake, so you're going to do something to look at the lake. And I say that is because all these folks getting killed is not looking at the individual person and what's wrong with them and what are they doing. We hmm. now have to look Come at on. the system, what is going on with the system that has caused this problem. And I use the lake analogy that sometimes this lake is so uh, polluted that you literally have to go to another lake for your water source. You cannot clean this lake up. This lake will take forever to clean up, and the resource and the money mm -hmm. that it will take to clean it up is so much that it's just easy to just go across the street to another lake and start all over. So we're saying we're not trying to clean up this system. This system is too corrupt, too corroded, too filthy to even try to clean up and get all these fish out there cleaned up. So we're just going to go get our own lake, get our own state, and get our own land. So that's why we want mm -hmm. you to help with project separation. But with that being said, as Sister Marianne, I just want to give a few things that was going on. Now we're going to go global. We're going to go galactic. We're going to go into the universe 
with our great brother who's going to bring us some more interesting news. But remember, you are tuned in to Elevated Places. The show was sponsored, and whose show it is, Dr. Ava. She's not here right now, but we want you to stay on the line and be here and enjoy the rest of this show. But, Brother Ruben, come on, bring us that universal and global report. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, family. How you all doing today? Fine, by the grace of Allah. Great, great, great. Oh, great. Praise, praise be to Allah. Well, here in the land down under, uh, like everywhere else in the world, the number one topic is COVID. We uh, here in Melbourne, Australia, are going to find out whether or not in another two weeks we are actually out of this curfew situation that we're in because uh, they're learning very quickly. It, you know, the curfew situation and the you know everyone being on hard lockdown has helped bring down the uh, what they call the community transmission because we did enter the second wave and that was all uh, based on community transmission, not others traveling from overseas or outside the country bringing the virus back in because no one is well. You can come back if you're a citizen. Uh, back home, but uh, you have to go into a hotel quarantine under police and uh, army uh, uh, guard to make sure that uh, no one is escaping the hotels because that's how this second wave, this is where it came from. Actually, it came from uh, people who were in a uh, hotel quarantine situation, and um, here we are, and it's spread far and wide. So they're still trying to decide that, and they see, what they're learning as well is that um, having people staying home and only allowed out one hour a day to exercise uh, takes a huge mental uh, toll on them. And um, what they're now, you know, they're, they're dealing with things like increased suicides and a whole lot of other things because this whole idea of being confined is, is for a long extended period of time is, uh, you know, is not good for the mind. So here in Melbourne, they are putting a lot of money towards uh, mental health uh, because they realize people are, even though some can work from home, but uh, the the different uh, relationships that people have within their home, uh, all, you know, not everyone has a big house. Some have, you know, small apartments, some have, uh, well, you know, uh, share homes just uh, for convenience with others, housemates or flatmates, things like that. And they're realizing, wow, uh, you know, they don't really um, get along too well when they're in confined spaces and uh, domestic violence has gone up as well. So a lot of issues uh, to deal with, uh, especially this uh, curfew and confinement period. And they are debating as well, do they continue it for another six weeks and to try to completely eradicate uh, any new community transmission cases but uh, we'll know more about that later on today. Uh, they're giving us an, an announcement. And uh, from that on, we'll have a stage-by-stage um, uh, undoing of the lockdown restrictions, and they're trying to bring the economy back. But, you know, we're in a completely different world now. This is a COVID world that uh, we're living in, and uh, things are never going to go back to how they used to be. And that's one of the things we've got to get ready for. Here in Australia as well, we have had some incredible weather and the minister told us you know watch the weather watch the weather we've had freak storms come out of nowhere and uh, you know start tearing down trees trees are falling on houses um, we're talking almost uh, like a tornado is what how they described it and we don't get tornadoes in the capital cities here uh, but uh, that's what's happening every kind of two or three days and we're being warned now to uh, 
uh, get ready for some more freak weather, as they're calling it over this weekend, and they really cannot make any sense of it. And this is across the whole east coast of uh, the continent or the country of Australia. One of the things we've got to look at as well, <coughs> family, is that um, around the world with COVID, many uh, situations that we kind of predicted would you know, start to happen are, are now you know, coming into reality. We're seeing now, you know, the United States is still the number one leader of uh, COVID-19 cases, over 6 million. Brazil has crept up to second position now with, you know, over 4 million cases. And, of course, the death toll, uh, you know, America's leading the death toll. But Brazil is now very close. Well, you know, it's very closely behind there. Uh, other countries such as uh, South Africa have now climbed into kind of the top 10. And, again, Africa being in the... Uh, impoverished condition that uh, health and financial resources and other things we unfortunately will begin to suffer more and more and more in uh, you know poorer nations in Africa and around the world so we're seeing you know India and other uh, countries as well uh, it's having a huge huge impact among the local population it, it, you know the economy as well has been affected we know that but the key thing is you know nations such as China, and I know we talk about China all the time, which took decisive action. And, you know, that's a model country to, to, to study and see how to open up, how to do it the right way so you don't keep opening up, shutting down, opening up, shutting down, like many countries have done. Um, that should be studied, and a lot of information, you know, is available. We don't have all the time to talk about it on the show, but you can go online and study how they did it. And countries like Vietnam, New Zealand is a good example. Australia is not bad, too, but um, economically, I'm not sure how um, we will recover, simply because many, kind, many industries like uh, hospitality, restaurants, and things like that, they, many have closed their doors for good. They've said, look, there's no way we can keep going like this. It's been six months, and there's no income coming in, and things of that nature. So a lot of things going on around the world. Keep looking up above your heads, because while we've been so focused on what is going on, here on the ground, above our heads, lots of activity uh, with so-called UFOs, as they say, and right behind that as well, many nations are continuing to send uh, space probes to the different planets, the different kind of missions, and, you know, you can go to the NASA website and read some of those for yourself and, and the European Space Agency, because, again, they've continued to bear witness to what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us about uh, the planets and uh, the, those who inhabit those planets. It taught us about the inhabited planets in the theology of time. So I don't want to take long because I want to hear from you know, Sister Dr. Eva Muhammad and the listeners and callers. So please join us, call in. We want to hear from you. Uh, Brother Terence will give you the number and um, let us continue to follow all of the instructions that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has given us so that we can have a chance to make it safely to the other side. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Thank you, thank you, Brother Ruben, for that wonderful and powerful yeah. information. You know, before we um, go to our next contributor to this wonderful conversation, you know, I got to ask you a question. And it's an obvious question, but then there may be some deeper things that you already know. Why are people trying to go out and do all this space exploration? What 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 are some of the reasons or claims for it? I know you have a deeper analysis, but what are some of the reasons um, why people are out there? 
Well, they tell us is to uh, to try and find uh, uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence is what they call it. S E T I is the acronym they use. Uh, the reality of it is um, one of the things that uh, were or the behavior patterns, if we were to study what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us. Uh, about uh, the nature of this man and how he wants to extend his time. Uh, this is a, the made man, you know, mankind, as they call it, to extend his rule on the earth uh, more than what he was permitted. Is he wanted to get access to knowledge and technology, certain kind of knowledge and technology. Hence, the great, what they call the space race, to reach to the moon and reach to the other planets. Because even though the white man continues to tell us that, uh, you know, these are made-up teachings that we follow and uh, that they don't make any sense, well, he tells that to the people, but he takes them and studies them and then says, I'm going to go to the moon and I'm going to find out what is on there. I'm going to find out what was left there. And if we follow the reality of from 1950s and 60s, especially after the moon landings, and the increase in technology uh, of uh, especially America, who got there first. We also see other nations, uh, like you mentioned, Brother Terence. You see Russia. You see the European nations. You see uh, India. You see China. They're all rushing to get access to, in, you know, knowledge, information, technology that they tell us is alien, but we know where, where it really came from because we were taught the history of the moon, where the moon came from, how we got to where it is into its current orbit, and we were also taught about life on the other inhabited planets. And one of the other things as well, Brother Terence, is those who are the rich and powerful are always looking to get away from all of us on this earth and go and make a new uh, reality for themselves, trying to separate themselves and go and live on another planet. And some of these are the most, uh, uh, some of the most richest and powerful people on this earth, and they don't hide what they're trying to do. Uh, you can go to, uh, say, uh, Elon Musk and Tesla and uh, people like him who uh, you know, uh, have the ability to have a company called SpaceX, and they not only uh, want to just travel, but they want to go and colonize other, other, other parts of this universe, they want to go and colonize Mars. So the pattern is the same. Like when they were let out of Europe, they went around the world colonizing and uh, re, you know, taking the natural resources and enriching themselves. They want to do exactly the same uh, on other planets, but we are comforted by the fact of what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us over 40, nearly 50 years ago in the theology of time. He did tell us that uh, this man who was made by Yaqub, he was confined to this earth and he would never be allowed to escape and live or spread himself throughout the universe. So we're blessed that uh, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan was able to rebuild and uh, bring the nation of Islam back to life, which gives us not only the registered but also the unregistered, the entire population of the original people in North America, including their native people and around the world, gives us a chance to be able to go through the process of resurrection and to become the new rulers on this earth while the old ruler is being set down. Wow. Okay. Well, Salam. That was that was powerful. So that's that's a lot. It's a lot to digest. That's a lot to digest, brother Ruben. You always bring so much to this conversation. So much to this conversation. 
So, once again, you are tuned into Elevated Places. This is Brother Terrence Muhammad. The number to call for comments and questions, 563-999-3065, 563-999-3065. We do have some guests coming on tonight, and we will be getting to them shortly. Uh, but we want to take a quick call. But like I said, 563-999-3065, press 1 if you have a comment or question. Uh, And like I said, we have some guests. And our sister, you are listening to Elevated Places, the show of Dr. Ava Muhammad, who hopefully, inshallah, we'll be hearing from shortly. And we will be having an introduction of our guests soon. But we want to take our first caller. And I think our brother, Brother Hoyo, has a comment he would like to give for us. Assalamu alaikum, my brother. Terrence, how are you, sir? How are you, sir? Brother, we're just looking at all of these killings going on. Uh, There's a killing uh, that was happening in, uh, I believe it was Los Angeles, where the brother was riding a bicycle and uh, was shot 29 times. Uh, this is only one. Another brother was suffocated in another city. If it's not mistaken, it was Washington D.C. A brother was yes, shot. I, I just wanted to add on to the cases for separation because uh, you mentioned two. It was the brother that was suffocated with a bag, and uh, this was another. Um, I mentioned last week there was a brother shot here in Memphis. Uh, it was the wrong suspect, but. I mean, it's sad that we, every time on the show, we it's another black man murdered or woman murdered by police. And um, I just want to salute the athletes that do stand up. Uh, the, um, is it Naomi um, uh, Osaka? You know, she put Brianna the Taylor on her, yeah, on her mask. And salute to her. Mm-hmm. She's standing up strong. And I just pray that, pray that our athletes don't fall victim to the political politics that, you know, that still want to keep us enslaved, you know, with, uh, you know, several talks, you know, so they can keep their plantation going. Um, I just want to salute the people that do stand up. And um, also, um, there's mass evictions, too, Brother Terrence, um, with the, um, you know, them evicting people from their apartments with the job loss of coronavirus. Uh, I was looking at CNN with the CNN uh, and Houston, and it was so terrible. It was saddening and heartbreaking. With uh, old people, uh, people with children, and they had nowhere to go. I mean, they some didn't have family, or, and I mean, this is a serious crisis. And I was talking to a friend of mine that lived down there, who said that that they do have breaks for people that are upper income. You know. Trump made breaks for them. So all of this is going to just really making our people really come together, families come together. Uh, you know, God has a way of bringing us together, you know, because everybody's so fragmented right now. And it's going to force us to grow our own food and all the things for the nine ministries, you know, we've been talking about in the Nation of Islam. But I'm going to let somebody else talk about Terrence and the other hosts. You guys are, are doing a great job holding it down from our sister. Brother Reuben, and um, inshallah, next week we'll talk. But uh, uh, hold it down, Brother Karen. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you, man. It's, 
it's it's getting very sad. It's getting very sad that we'll keep hearing and keep hearing and we'll keep hearing um, all of these daggum hashtag hashtag death 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 death. Tired of it. Tired of it. Tired of it. But we're gonna make it through. We're gonna push through. We're gonna push through. So we're gonna come back to the phones once again. You are tuned into Elevated Places, this powerful and wonderful media and show. Uh, on Blog Talk Radio that our sister, Dr. Ava Muhammad, has put here for us. Continue to support her. we even doing PayPal. Go to ministerava.com, ministerava.com. Get her e-books, get her books, see her lectures. Please nurse on this wonderful wisdom, the national spokesperson of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, our sister, Dr. Ava Muhammad. And she has opened this platform, this wonderful show, to... All those to just come over here and speak and talk. But right now we're going to bring on a powerful sister who's going to introduce our guests, our guests for the evening, and also just going to give us some words as she always gives us some powerful contribution to this wonderful show. Help me to welcome Attorney Pamela. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Yes, How sir. are you? Uh, brother, I'm fine by Allah's grace and mercy, Brother Terrence. And assalamu alaikum to Sister Mariam, and assalamu alaikum to Brother Ruben. Uh, wa alaikum salam. Yes, it's so wonderful to speak with everybody and be on our pa- our panel, be a part of this panel on this beautiful show of Dr. Ava Muhammad's The Elevated Places. And um, today I really have the privilege of speaking on a subject that's really near and dear to my heart, and that's regarding our children uh, being under attack um, and the need for us as a community to really rally around our families and really look and help our community and our sisters, our young single mothers, sometimes the single fathers, and many times it is both parents as they're struggling to educate their children in these online situations, this whole uh, climate of virtual learning, because as we know, since COVID has been in effect and the schools have been closed down, parents have been educating their, you know, they've been uh, facilitating their children going a lot of times to these public schools using these virtual learning platforms. And so this past weekend, myself along with some other sisters in the community we wanted to help uh, empower parents, um, and we had a back-to-school conference. It was entitled Empowering Families in, uh, during the COVID back-to-school uh, pandemic time period. And one of the sisters that um, was on our panel, she's with me tonight. Her name is Dr. Deborah Green. And Dr. Green is on the line, and before she uh, gives the greeting, I just kind of wanted to give us a little background about Dr. Green. She has a um, she had a master's in social uh, work, a master's degree in social work, and she went on to get a doctorate of education recently because one of her major focuses was seeing how our children are often penalized in the public school system. Uh, because she has a background in Children's Protective Services. Uh, She actually worked as a top administrator in the state of Texas um, and actually was over several regions. And so 
she was able to observe firsthand this problem of disproportionality where, as a result, for example, in Texas, uh, black children, I believe, were 4.6 more times, uh, 4.6 times more likely to be reported to CPS, um, and then 5.1 times more likely to be. No, you didn't get dropped off. You there? Sister Pamela. So I'm going to wait and see if she jumps back in. We can't be having that because I know she was giving to bring it. Oh, All right. Well, we're going to keep it going. We want, we're going to we're going to give it a few seconds, a few moments to to see what's going on. But once again, you are tuned in to Elevated Places, five six three nine 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 three zero six five. Press one for a question or comment. But I just wanted to uh, add, Sister Marianne, that she have anything that she wanted to add before she has to jump off and go and do some more work on another call if she's still with us. I am still here. I, I am still here. I wanted to hear more of the show, of course, before I have to jump off. And I really wanted to, I'm interested in hearing the remote learning piece because, of course, you know, I teach at Muhammad University, and um, we just had our parent-teacher meeting this evening and, and getting ready to start next week with our um, remote learning and, and gearing up and getting the parents to gear up and helping them with all the resources that they need to be successful. It's not easy. It's not easy, especially on the parent's perspective, if you're not a teacher or if that's just something you're not inclined to do. You know, parents definitely need resources and help to get through this remote learning process. Uh, and, oh, a lot. If, you, if your children are younger, like the, the K through third and, and fourth graders, I, I really, my heart goes out to those parents because they, really have to help their children log on and, and do all of those things. So I'm really interested to hear what our guest has to bring in those um, perspectives and, of course, more. So, yes, I am still here. Even when I have to jump off, I'll still be listening. <laughs> there we okay. go. There we oh, go. Great. So the family. There you go. And that was so yes, right because, like you said, Yes, ma'am. Like you say, those inabilities to log in and get online or yes. parents having to yes. work, those are resulting in CPS calls. Those are resulting in parental neglect cases. So without further ado, I want to bring in Dr. Green, who can share some of her knowledge with us. Thank you, Dr. Green. Are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. I want to say thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to present with Sister Pam. Thank you again, Sister Pam, for inviting me. I'd like to first talk about the American systemic disproportional legacy that we have in the United States. And just to say that the education system that we currently have was not designed for our children. Uh, just to Come give on. you a little bit of information, before 1874, there were no laws to protect children from abuse or neglect in their homes by their parents or their caregivers. caregivers. There was no laws to protect. There were laws also at that point in time to protect animals from cruelty and abuse, but there were no laws to protect children. So in 1874, wow. there was this little white girl. Her name was Mary Ellen Wilson. She was eight years old. She was severely abused. And again, as I said, there were no laws to protect children. However, 
The case was brought by the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and led to the establishment of the Child Protective Services Agency. So the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children was founded in 1874, the same year Mary Ellen's case came to public attention. Now fast forward that to our children, African-American children, what has happened to us in the educational system? What has happened to us? So for African-American children, we continue to suffer unequal treatment despite laws, despite constitutional amendments from 1865, 1868, and 1870. There's many state legislators that have been enacted, laws decreed that black and white children could not ride the same buses and attend schools, the same schools at the same time. We remember that. It took until 1951. Remember the date, 1874, for Mary Ellen Wilson, the year it was brought to attention, they established something for her, for little white children. But it took until 1951, Linda Brown, an eight-year-old African-American girl, was not allowed to attend an all-white segregated school. It was only a few blocks away from her home. Instead, she was bused five miles away to a school for African-American children. So everyone you know, you've heard about it, you've heard about the school board was sued on behalf of Linda Brown, 1954. But you may not have known the difference between what happened to the little white girl and what happens to our children. Widespread racial um, segregation was instituted, and it took years and years and years before we could just even get anything that was near educating our kids. They were prevented from even being educated. And then when they were, then we didn't get the same thing. So moving moving forward, talking about some of the drivers in the uh, child welfare system, We know, as Sister Pamela said, that black children are represented in the Child Protective Services system at a higher rate than any other population. But it's not just in CPS. It's in the criminal justice system, the juvenile justice system, and the education and special education services system. So that brought me, as a person that worked with Child Protective Services for over 30 years, to a place where I wanted to know, let's look at that education system a little bit closer. Now, the opportunities that we see today, it is both an opportunity for us, but we have to be aware that there could be some um, red flags for African-American families. The opportunity comes in that we see what's going on in a virtual environment. Even though they're looking at us, we also see them. So we have to be aware of what the training for CPS currently is. CPS currently trains teachers that they need to be considerate still, be aware of the factors of maltreatment that they may not have noticed in, a, in the, before. So, for example, they need to pay attention to whether or not while the child is virtually le- learning, What about the caregiver? Are you seeing the caregiver in the background? Does the caregiver up here overly stressed out? Um, What about, what are you seeing in the background? You know, does it appear that some children there are being neglected or abused? And then also, they even have them trained down to look at, to talk to children about things like that. You know, does the child appear to be hungry? 
and then um, is there some type of uh, change in the child's behavior? So it's a very, very dangerous environment that we can be in. So how can parents arm themselves? Parents Parents need to understand that they have power. We have power. And so because they see us, we also see them. So, yes, walk, simple things, walk past. First, first thing of all, save your entire environment so that when you have a virtual environment, then they're not peering into all that is in your home. Have the children sort of like to face a window, um, a wall or something, maybe behind them, something clean so that you don't see what's going on in the home. That's number one, because the eye, it's in the eyes of the beholder. And what they may see, see the same type of situation with a white child and the same situation with a black child or a brown child, and they may interpret it very differently. So we have to be really, really careful with that. Then the parents, understanding their power, need to make sure that they, the teacher sees them at least once an hour, just kind of walk by to let them see you and let them know that you're there. That's important. Also, I would say that for parents, this is a time for them to join together to understand their strength in numbers. And so if there's a parent group, uh, parent-teacher association, parent, uh, any type of parent advocacy group, and if there is none, create your own because there is safety in numbers. And if you see something that appears to be not appropriate, then you need to bring that immediately to the attention of the school system. For example, just recently, this is a recent story uh, that is true, one particular teacher wanted, um, this is in a PE class, so she wanted the children, gave them homework, and said to them that what they needed to do is videotape themselves about exercising, the various exercises that she had shown them, 10, 15 minutes, and upload it into the system. Now, mind you, in that particular virtual PE class, she already had the kids to be able to exercise, and she saw them all exercising. So why does a PE teacher need to have pictures of kids exercising? But that may be, maybe that's innocent. But what she did do that wasn't as innocent, in my opinion, is to have uh, the kids to look at a 10 or 15-minute video of someone who had the potential to become a perpetrator because he was saying to the children, oh, make sure you share my information with other kids and, you know, things that are very, very inappropriate. Share this with your friends. And exercise itself seemed okay, but all of that sharing puts our children at risk and at danger. So it's incumbent upon parents to be able to make sure that they have their eyes on the teachers. They're wonderful teachers. Very, very good teachers out there. Our kids um, go to public schools. Um, I'm a product of public schools. My parent was, my mother was a teacher. And so my children, both of them, adult children, are educators. So I know that there are some good teachers. But we're talking about systemic injustices of systems, and so parents need to be aware. Yeah. And, you know, Deborah, um, that's very, thank you so much for sharing that because, in in these legal systems, you know, it's very, very broad, and it gives a lot of room for discretion. For example, what they're taught to look for is a reasonable cause to believe a child has been abused or neglected. 
so oftentimes we found that there is racism and bias in these systems because in the eye of the beholder, oftentimes they will falsely accuse black children or misinterpret uh, what they're seeing. So if a parent, for example, has a child who's truant or they've missed some school programming, you know, or, for example, there was a black mother who was working as a hairdresser, and she was reported to the Children's uh, Protective Service because she didn't answer her phone. And, and this is in a, a span of only 30 minutes. So they, you know, called her back to back, back to back in 30 minutes, you know, time period. And because she may have been, we know, you know, doing one of those chemical treatments or something, she maybe couldn't pick up the phone right then. That was, you know, falsely um, looked at as being a potential child abuse case. And, uh, you know, these are some of the things because, like, in, in the black community, they say that black children are, I think, 53% um, higher rate of being investigated by child protective services. So, um, whereas they say 37.4% of all children experience a child protective service case uh, by 18 years, they're saying with black children, it's 53%. You know, so, it, and it's getting so bad. I mean, children are, one child got reported because her mom allowed her to run around the block for a little PE, little exercise, and maybe the child, you know, her mom didn't see her because she went around the block, you know, things we used to do. And lo and behold, someone actually investigated that. You know, they actually called in a case on her. And so what, what the experts are saying is that you're not having the same level of reporting in white neighborhoods that you are in black neighborhoods. Schools are calling DCF in the suburbs where kids are blowing off their online schooling, said one expert. And what he's saying is that we're giving this COVID-19 crisis has given schools new ways to surveil and punish parents. Um, and, you know, and this is happening for things like online absenteeism and, as Deborah said, video conferencing uh, that's allowing teachers to just see inside of your family's home. So, I mean, this is difficult. We're trying to get these children educated, I guess, but I think parents had to be, we got to empower our parents to understand they are accountable. Uh, we do want our children to learn. Some people in the black community are saying that this opportunity to have virtual learning is actually freeing children and that they are becoming better educated and that they are having better connections to their parents, you know, their moms, times that we had never been able to really spend with our children. You know, we're actually having this one-on-one -on -one time, so there's a real positive, but I think we have to look at uh, the, the, the other side of it, which is uh, – Teachers are mandatory reporters, and a lot of times they are trained and they are expected, and the state does receive funds sometimes based upon the numbers of children that are uh, treated in these foster care systems. And so, you know, during COVID, when the children are in our homes, this is the mechanism, you know, by which by which child abuse and neglect is supposedly being, you know, investigated. 
and and so um, you know, and again, Sister Mariam, please weigh in as well because I know you're an educator. Yes, so ma'am. when we did our seminar this past weekend, the webinar, and you know, the sisters came on, uh, these experts were on. We really wanted to empower parents and make them not feel mm-hmm. in, insecure that they can't do uh, this job and that this isn't an, ex- an excellent time. And, uh, you know, what do you think about that as a, from an educational standpoint? I definitely yeah. do. Um, I, I think that we're learning that it, it takes a community. You know, it takes a village to raise our children. And I think that a lot of parents, through this remote learning, is starting to see um, what it is that teachers do, but also they're seeing their level of responsibility as a parent. I was just having this conversation with a parent earlier that, you know, they have been so much in the schedule of dropping your children off at school. By the time you pick them up, you go home, it's time to eat, it's bedtime. So you, you really weren't in the role of parenting because somebody had your child the majority of the day. So yes, now ma'am. you're being pushed into the role of parenting. And I think that um, from, I, I see it from two perspectives in regards to uh, one, being a parent and also being a teacher, but also being a teacher at our school in the Nation of Islam at Muhammad University, but also mm-hmm. being a part of mentoring services for the um, Chicago public school systems. And I do see the neglect on on the screen. And and I'm not a a big advocate for the system, you know, reporting to the system, because putting them in the system, it's just, it's really not built to help us. So, you know, it's like a catch-22, but I do, there are cases of children being hungry. There, there are cases of, you know, children being in filthy environments. And, and so there's a lot of hands-on work that I believe needs to be done to help the parents at, at home in their situation, to help make yes, it a better ma'am. environment, not just for the children, but for the family. Oh, yes, so ma'am, I agree. Let me, let me jump right back in here, but I'm loving this discussion. Yes. Uh, and I got some great news for everybody. I do want to do, but I'm going to put out a question because what are y'all talking about? Y'all saying a lot of good stuff about what parents need to do. I also want to have a conversation about the parents that are not able and can't be in the home yeah. to set up all these things because yeah. COVID has presented right. an opportunity where we had the thing that most parents that could had to work all the time, they had to find resources just to be able to have their children in the after-school programs until they got home to get them meals mm-hmm. and they can have multiple jobs. What about those parents that are not in the area and able to do the things that we want them to do because they're just not in a position to even do it and give it that quality? So that's a, that's a question I want you all to hold. But before we go there with okay. that question or the answer to that question or discussion about that question, I got to relieve my duties because the one that allows me to do all that I'm doing on this show, the one that this show is about or for, well, no, so I would say, because she would correct me if I say it wrong, this is the show for the people and for everyone, but she is the orchestrator of it, and she is the one that allows us to be on there and have this beautiful discussion. She is on now. 
on Elevated Yay. Places, her show, Yay. Dr. <laughs> Ava Muhammad. Welcome to your Praise show. I know who Rasta <laughs> Miss <you>. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome, everyone. And you're not complaining. I'm You pulled me off of mute. I want to hear this discussion. This is so crucial. Um, So I'm here, and I'll I'll come in later on, but I don't want to break up the flow of this. This is crucial uh, information and perspectives that we're being given. So carry on. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. Well, I, so I got I my instructions. In and yeah, that yeah. Question. And me too. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I, I like to jump in and answer that question. And I and I think and thank you. Hello, uh, Dr. Ava. Again, Assalamualaikum. I'm so happy to be here. Um, this well, is Deborah Green. Dr. Deborah Green. Thank you. Yes, and ma'am. I just want to say that this is this is a time for us to come together. This is the time mm-hmm. that if there's a, someone safe, a big mama down the street, somebody. Absolutely. As black families, we've always um, helped our own. We have That's a right. history of that, and right. we would have never made it. Right. So this is a time that we need to reach out to our our community and find the supports that are within our own community to help one another. And this is a time where people need to know where to call for help. And it's not all. It's not generally outside of our system that we really get the best help, uh, because I know that there's neglect that exists. I know that there's truly abuse that exists. I know that one out of ten kids have been sexually abused. I know all the numbers, but as I said before, right. it's really in the eye of the beholder. But I know some other data as well. I know that I have seen kids come into the system grow up in the system, and then their children and their children's children come into the system. I've seen Mm -hmm. kids age out of the system, and when we remove them from their families, that environment that was neglectful or supposedly abusive, they have better odds if they would remain in that environment with their families. And that's data that that you can can find. That is true data. And so I just want us to be able to understand and to connect with the strength that we have within ourselves and use one another as support system. Yeah, and that's so I love that because yeah. And I love that. Let me push back just a little bit and push back. And this is not cuz I agree with everything you said. Let me push back. Well, what how how is it that because that community that you talking about don't exist today. So how do we do that? We're not back in that day where the community was sticking together and we was united, we was together. So how do we how do we build that? Yeah. Yeah. And if and if I could say, Brother Terrence, you know, we came mm-hmm. together on this issue. I met uh, Dr. Green uh, back in the early 2000s, and there was a black lady that was the head of CPS, and Dr. Green was, like, second. And they brought that issue to the community by encouraging churches and individual stakeholders because when I heard her, them say that the children would have been better if you would have left them in their home um, rather mm-hmm. than if you remove them, I was just through, you know, and that because that just lets us know, like the Honorable Minister Farrakhan says, we have to make our own communities decent and safe places to live. So with the Coalition for the Preservation of the Black Family, that's an organization, grassroots, that we all come together on, and we came on the premise of kinship. Because if a parent is struggling, if our parents who have so many issues, they're young parents, they're poor parents, 
because most black people are taken, their children are taken because of neglect. And a lot of times neglect just means poverty. So we came together because we say, okay, if you can't raise this child correctly and keep them safe, maybe your relative can. And the system even pushes back on that. The system doesn't want black children to even be with black families. This is where you're seeing right. all this homosexual, you know, people raising children or white people raising mm-hmm. children because they're actually destroying the ability to keep children with their own families. And so just in closing, I wanted to say, you know, with this issue here specifically, Brother Terrence, with the pandemic mm-hmm. and the uh, way that the schools are looking for what Sister Mariam was talking about, there is some poverty in these homes. Well, what they're saying is that, they're not looking for it at it from a caring perspective. They're saying right. um, they're looking for it. It's, in fact, it never touches touches base on any of the issues children are experiencing during the pandemic, such, such as social distancing, such as not being around friends, sudden changes in routines. They're not looking at the issue about whether or not this pandemic has one parent not working. You know, so it's not coming to the same system that's supposed to help the families is the same one mm-hmm. that's penalizing them from these failures. So that's where you're at a disadvantage yeah. often when they, CPS comes into your home um, because you do have all of these these issues. Like there's a lady whose child had some special needs, was kind of acting out. She came mm-hmm. to get help for that from one of the specialists. And the next thing you know, two days later, CPS was knocking at her door on a, a case talking about neglect, trying to take the boy. So, of course, she felt like, wow, I wish I wouldn't have even reached out if I right. was going to get penalized mm-hmm. for, for seeking help. So we, we've got to do this. That's, that's what we're saying. Or, you know. Absolutely. Yes, and, yes sir. And that's yes, very ma'am. interesting that you that's said that because one of the things that happens in law enforcement, as we've been watching, you know, a person calls for a mental health case. Uh, someone looks like they're mentally deranged, they need help, we're seeking help, so we call 911 and the police arrive and the person is dead. There's no mental engagement, mm-hmm. there's no mental health. Mm-hmm. So it almost seems like the same way with the homes, and, you know, you call seeking assistance and you're penalized, and it actually is a worse situation than actually getting benefit and help. Uh, in that process, yeah, same situation. It's like a trap. Brother Terrence, real fast before um, I understand, Sister Tiffany Muhammad is on the line, and she's another advocate, and okay. attorney out of Los Angeles. I think Sister Tiffany want to say your mic. Are you open? Um, and she has Can worked with children as a tutor. Yes, ma'am. Having a tutoring company as well, so. I wanted to bring you into the conversation, Sister Tiffany. Oh, thank you so much. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes we can. Yes, ma'am. Oh, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I sound like them. Why? It's an honor and a, pl- uh, a, pr- a privilege <laughs> to be online. Thank you so much. Um, I'm out and about, so I'm just making sure you can hear me. But it's, um, like I say, it's an honor to join this conversation. Like um, Dr. Ava mentioned, this is such a crucial topic in regards to our children, sheltering in place, educating in place now. But I was just um, uh, sharing with Sister Pam, as she stated, that I was a state provider for the state of California, and I was blessed to work in our district's um, 
Title I schools with the, our children who are, who are low income, who has a lot of problems, and a lot of times are in group homes and have CPS uh, cases out. So that put me directly in contact with their parents um, for those who are at home still. But I was just sharing with Pam, it was, um, it was uh, to me, with the racial tech gap, I had shared with Sister Pamela that one positive, a positive in, in this situation is that our children are able to participate and maybe close the gap in regards to the racial tech, um, the gap that exists. So that's just one thing. Of course, the devil and the universal, as we call them, the universal snooping devil with his surveillance, that's another thing. And I think Dr. Green did an excellent job in describing the need for a protocol. You know, we can remedy that. We can inform our parents and uh, students to, you know, put yourself with a window in a background, in a, in a wall for your background. Everybody doesn't need to um, be in your home. And at the other, uh, on the other side, we have to also remember that our children, they, they've been on, on games and they've been on different devices, um, not such as programming and coding, which it looks like that's the direction that they will be made to change to, which is a blessing for um, one, one more uh, positive in this uh, sheltering and educating in place. But I just want our children um, and our parents to be motivated. Of course, it's a vulnerable time that we're all in, COVID-19. That's, you know, what it is. But if we just remember what our minister, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, pointed out July 4th, 2020, in his criteria address that he told us, that this is a pestilence from heaven. So we have to look at it. We're at home, and our children are back with the village, back with the support. So it's time to take our children back and make the best of it. Yes, there is necessary to be a protocol, you know, to, to make sure that we do it correctly. I heard the sister, I think Sister Pam, talk about that TE class. It's, on, it's going to be a lot of inappropriateness because we know that this education has been in fail mode for the past century. We know that the root of the white man's education is rooted in falsehood. So we have to balance it out, go into this new world order, take our children back, learn to be responsible again, and really follow the guidance of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan because he already told us the remedy is we must reconnect and repent with the heavens. So that's all I like to say, and I'm really grateful. Thank you so much, and I will stay on the line and listen as I do every Thursday. Thank you. Wow. May I add just on, one more thing? Uh, and I know yes, that time please. is short, but um, no, I, I just wanted to add one more thing, and that is it's really critical for parents to listen to your children. And it's also critical for parents. We've we touched yes. upon it, but it's critical for parents to understand that it is their responsibility to educate their own children, and that starts at a very young age from the womb. You know, you you should always be educating them, explaining to them about who they are, uh, explaining to them about their body and who others are as well. Um, And so if uh, another thing is there there is like a group of parents, we have have seen that really, as one of the sisters said, you know, the parent just kind of drop their kids off and just leave them and don't worry about them because that's the school's job. And so we have that mentality. And so sometimes there, it's not always what teachers are saying that it's the correct thing. So please, please listen to your children. And if they say that they have some problems, you know, parents need to really trust your own instinct and trust the child's instinct 
and look into that situation because, again, abuse and neglect is in the eyes of the beholder is systemic. That is the root cause, and we have all been um, educated by the same system with um, the exclusion of those people and young people who've grown up, who've gone to the mosque, and all of that, that's different. But the public school system uh, continues to perpetuate itself so that people will continue to have jobs, and it's just more and more and more I could talk about, but I'm going to stop there. No, and if I could and, just and I add, Brother Terrence. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, right before I have to <laughs> drop off, I just wanted to add that um, we we have to understand that the parents need to be educated too. A lot of things that we experience is the fact that the parents are just as illiterate as the children. So when we think about resources for the children, we have to also think about what are the resources for the parents to put them in a better position to be able to help their children. A lot of them are frustrated and stressed because they're really just not able to help their children in so many different dynamics. Even when you look at in the state of Illinois, they're adding $325 per child on a person's link card for food every month while we're on remote learning. However, if you're living in a food desert, if you don't know how to properly purchase food, you still go into the store with that extra money buying Flaming Hot and and food items that are non-nutritional and not really good for the child. So we have to develop the the, – plan and the resources for our women and also our men, too. There are fathers in the home who need to be educated to help our families be back the way that we were. So it's a job that everybody just has to take up, whatever your role or position may be, but to understand that when we say to the people, you're the parent and your job is to educate or assist in the education of your child. We have to always remember the parent, most of the parents are illiterate and they need help too. Yes. Well, y'all, y'all, so I, I, I know, uh, Sister Pam, you know, I want your, all of your guests to stay on, and I know Sister Mario may be leaving, but I, woo, woo. both of y'all just laid out two powerful points that I really wanted to get into is how how to do a proper educational process where we are educating the child as well as the parent. I remember in the 90s when I was in uh, college, we had a program called Dream Builders, and we were bringing some young children from the local um, neighborhood, Morningside Homes, and we would teach them on a college campus or to the local black bookstore, and then we'll take them back take them back home. But one of the process was we didn't just bring them to a, this nice campus and then drop them back in the hood, per se. We actually engaged with the community, the things that was going on in that particular community, and actually what was going on in their home. So we made dealt with the whole child, not just for a tutorial. Uh, and I'm just saying, I'm just trying to wonder, what is that process that we should be working on as we will, will, will try to educate our children, but also as Sister Mariam so eloquently said, like now, you know, I'm watching so many memes and so much stuff on social media, parents like like pulling out their hair trying to help with their children's work because they don't know what they're <laughs> yeah, looking at because it's a whole new reality. <laughs> right. Or what is it that we need to help the totality of the child and the parent to make this a successful uh, process? And I got another question or uh, something else, but I'll come back to that. 
Well, you know, Brother Terrence, I think, um, like Sister Marianne was saying, we do have to educate parents. And, of course, from a legal perspective, we have to make sure our parents understand that there are things like right to privacy, right to remain silent, and issues about surveillance in the black community because a lot of times, I mean, we've, we've been doing these programs for a while now, you know, since the 70s, since the 60s, since the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us the solution. And then we turn to a lot of these other solutions, and we wonder why they're not working. Well, one of the things, because we're going to our enemies and we're inviting them in our homes seeking help, and, and that's just not going to, to cause any kind of improvement. I mean, as we speak right now, the American Bar Association is having a seminar in the middle of September, right around September 17th, 18th, and it's called White Supremacy in the Child Manifesting in the Child Welfare you know, Services in the Community. And so they're admitting white supremacy is at the root of these systems, so that's the thing. We've got to get our families to understand that We've got to make our own community safe and decent places to live. And then with understanding right to privacy, with understanding the right to remain silent, and with understanding how to, to act at home and abroad, you know, because there is surveillance, then I think we can sit down with the, at the table with community people who do want to help and become neighbors again, and we can solve this problem. That's, that's and I want to jump in there, Sister Pam. So one of the things I do yes, in some of my circles is I need you to explain right to privacy and some other stuff that you just mentioned. Because sometimes we have conversations and we think everybody understands what you're talking about. What do you mean they have the right to privacy? And it was something else that you said that they have the right. What 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 do you mean when you say those things as it relates well, to education? T- right. Well, when we talk about a right to privacy, this is where you have as a, you know, the Constitution and God himself gives every family the right to be a family and to look after your family's interests and to not uh, be impeded or interfered with by the government or anyone. You have your right to to be self-determined. And when you talk about privacy rights, Oftentimes we waive those rights, especially when, you know, you're always told you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and be used against you. Well, at at most times when you're telling um, issues that are very sensitive to your family either making it or being successful, you're you're actually giving up that right to privacy uh, and turning over information to people sometimes who may not have your in, your best interests at heart, who really may use your uh, chaos or the confusion or the poverty that exists in your life against you to come back and say, well, you're not a good parent because you can't feed your child or, you know, your check came up uh, missing, so therefore that means that you're unfit. I mean, these are the type of situations that we see. And so sometimes you need to make sure that you're talking to people who will respect your culture, your background, and sincerely want to do what's in the best interest of your ch- your child as opposed to taking, you know, your worst problem. Um, and so that's what I mean by things that are privately going on in your life that you would like to do better with, uh, but it, it, it may be a negative. 
and so you you know you may not need to share that with um a a person who's a mandatory reporter at that time who's going to not sensitively use it use it you know to help you for example Dr. Green you know in these cases for example brother Terrence when parents are accused of of committing some kind of child abuse let's say neglect let's say a mother left and went and got her check that's what we've heard lately you know parents don't have babysitters sometimes during this covid because everybody's sheltering in place but then the parent has to leave and go get their check so they can pay their bill and so now the children are now you're abusing your child you're neglecting your child because you left them at home and so um the point would be that you know, a lot of times you're going to be given what they call a service plan in order to get your child back um, because now the children have been removed from you because you had to go get your check. And so these service plans are supposedly like things that will improve your life. But if the, the people who are trying to supposedly help you don't care about your life being improved, then these this will be used against you. And ultimately, your ability to keep your family intact is going to be terminated and impeded. So you really need people that are going to, who may know better on how to achieve some of the goals, like, for example, someone who, you know, I don't know how to cook, but you go to a sister who really cares, and she'll teach you how to cook. And then when you have to present that to people who may be judging you, an authority figure, a a law enforcement person, You still there? Hello. Hello. Ah, she keeps dropping off. I don't want that she keeps dropping off. Well, we're gonna we're gonna come back, but we have a question. I got some more questions, but we're gonna go to the phones. Well, and Sister Karen? Donna from Memphis has a comment. Sister Donna. Lake Salon. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, you can. Oh, okay. I, you got to me so quick. I wasn't quite ready. I'm sorry. Um, oh, you got to get ready. I'm, always be ready. Yeah, I got to always be ready. I really am appreciating this program, and as I'm listening to um, Sister Pamela, it put me in the mind of what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, and our Savior has arrived in terms of this educational institution won't even be utilized. And we're seeing the breaking down of it, but we were also taught in Study Guide 16 of the Self-Improvement Study Guides to put ourselves in the position when we reach 100% dissatisfaction. So as I'm hearing what's going on in these different places, we really are, with what we've been given, primed and poised to take advantage of this. So I'm just really appreciative of what Sister Pamela is sharing, too, in terms of the knowledge of things such as right to privacy. But we have to, with what we know, come together and place us in that position as we see this system breaking down. They're not going to be able to pull it back together the way that it was before. That was my little comment. Well, that's a good comment. (laughs) And I want to add on to your comment, Donna. It's like, you know, we got to get back to that. And I think it was a – I wanted to go back to, I guess, you you had mentioned something about um, trusting the children. And one of the things that 
we have found, I mean, it's a couple of things. When we talk about, uh, I think you used the word white supremacy, we really got to break down what is white supremacy and how does that manifest in a systemic way in systems that is not just pure hatred but curriculum um, structure that actually is um, producing negative outcomes for our children. But I think one of the things I was, you know, wanted to have a conversation about is how does it manifest when our children act out in behavioral ways when they're just bored and they're actually geniuses and they're just not getting what they need from the, the teachers and they just kind of, you know, do the disciplinary thing, but they actually are trying to, like I said, they're bored, they're not getting what they need, they need more. Or, you know, or the whole other side of it is, like you said, listen to your child and understand them when something is going wrong with them physically. But I'm just wondering how does that work, you know, when a child is telling you they're not learning or they're they're bored, you know, how do we respond to that and how do we give them more when a system is not trying to elevate them and push them higher? Anyone there? Did everybody leave? All right. I'm here. I, I'm here. Okay, you were there. Like, okay, uh, can you respond? Because I don't know where everybody went. No, I can't. It looks like Sister Tiffany is still here, and I, I don't know if she's responding. Yes. Oh, yes. I like to respond, Brother Terrence. If Go you ahead. Think about it. Yes. That has been that has been an issue. Correct. That's what you're stating. That's what you're stating. And so mm-hmm. for me, what the way I see it at this time being placed at home with the village or reconnected with mom who we already noted and Sister Mariam stated needs re-education too. But what I'm saying is the difference now is that we're going to be made to do this opposed to not dropping the child off a lot of times prior to COVID you know you dropped your child off what 745, 8 o'clock for a working mother and you didn't see him again until 3 or 4. Lord behold they in some or such they get home about 637. So here and now it shifts back to parents having to be parents again. So I was just thinking that it's been that scenario for a long time, but now here it is, parents are being made, put back into the, you know, the role of a parent. So it's going to, it's not, like I always say, it's going to be vulnerable. It's not going to be the smoothest uh, change because we know that this is a paradigm shift too. But most definitely, um, Sister Pam, are you there? Yes, ma'am. We're back on to... Okay. okay. Can you hear us? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I know Sister Deborah ahead. was talking. Sister <laughs> Deborah, did you want to say something on that as well? A, a couple of things. I I wanted to say that um, regarding the last point that it, I agree uh, with the sister that just finished speaking. I believe that this is a perfect opportunity for families to um, to get involved, for parents to really. Find out about the children's homework. You know, if the kid says that they're having an issue, sit in. You know, it's a virtual environment. Communicate with the teacher. And, and you know, it may be hard at first because maybe you're not used to doing it, but step out of your comfort zone and go ahead and communicate. And so that's really what the Coalition for the Preservation of the Black Family is about, is to bring things like this uh, to light so that we can uh, work within the community and work with those people who work within the community. But can I back up a second, please? And Come on. let us talk a, a little bit about um, what was 
when we dropped out what was discussed. So Sister Pam knows that we've done things such as um, we did a workshop before, and I did 10 things you should know about child protective services. So when Sister Pam started talking about um, the right to privacy and things like that, I wanted to jump right in Mm. and say a couple of things. And um, that we know that the state law requires that anyone who believes that a child has been abused or neglected, that they must make a CPS report or report to law enforcement. And we also have to understand that CPS investigates anonymous reports. Sometimes they close reports without investigation if there's no real um, foundation. But that's the first thing I wanted to make. Then when Sister Pam was talking about that um, we have the right to privacy, what I wanted to say is I agree with that 100%. And uh, one point that I made in the training that I do is that um, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You do, you do have your right. You have the right to speak to an attorney and you have an, and to have an attorney present during any type of questioning. But what we have to understand is this. CPS's primary objective during an investigation is not the protection of the child. Um, it is the protection, I'm sorry, it is the protection of the child and not the preservation of the black family. And, and not the preservation of any family. It's about protecting the child. So the system was not made for us, and it's not on our side. And so we have to understand that because it is in um, the eye, again, abuses in the eye of beholders. So going back to what Sister Pam said, so your right to privacy, how do you, what do you do about that? You say you need to know that you don't, you do not have to allow anyone to come into your home just because they knock at your door and stay there from CPS. You don't. Ask for identification. All CPS staff have identification cards. Politely ask to see their DFPS identification card, and if the caseworker is accompanied by a police officer or others, leave them at the door and let them know you'll be right back. Get a pencil and get paper. If you can, stay as calm as possible. If you can speak to them outside of your door, that's what you do. Write down the police officer's name. You know what? I'm going too much into detail. But there are some things that we can do (laughs) as families and as parents to protect ourselves, I, need to, I think I need to cut that short because I was going into a little bit more detail than what you asked for. But the main thing is is that we need to understand our rights. Right. Yes, ma'am. And, and Deborah, can you, I think when he talked about the racism and whether or not the white supremacy uh, is actually shown, can you share with them about the zip codes that we had where black neighborhoods were, you know, focused, and this is where most of your cases were coming from and and how when we looked into that, we saw a lot of racism um, in those uh, numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, Sister Pam and I have been talking, we talk about this uh, quite often, but uh, you you all are are familiar with predictive analysis. And so the state uses that as well. And when we dug deep and we saw what was going on within the state explain that. Yeah, tell them what predictive analysis is about a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you got a bunch it, of calls. Um, it's simple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 
So go ahead and talk about predictive analysis. Do you want me to do that? I mean, you can go. Well, you can I'll finish your point. I just wanted yeah. to come back because some people may not know that language, and I want the, all of the callers to get really full depth of what you're saying. So basically, okay, I'll, I'll, I will explain it very simply. So with predictive analysis, what it means is that you look at zip codes, like Mr. Pam was saying, and then you um, you look at how many referrals have come from that area and how many um, how many were substantiated. And so substantiated means how many where we agree that there was a CPS referral that is valid and a child was abused right. or neglected. So when that occurs, then we look at those numbers, we crunch the numbers, and then you can predict based on those numbers, unfortunately, that the referrals are going to come, uh, more more cases, et cetera. So that's predictive analysis, looking into the future and seeing um, what you do. Very similar to what happens in the school system with um, by the child, time a child gets to third or fourth grade, then they can predict if that child is not reading whether or not how many prisons um, they're yeah. going to build. That's another subject. But you know that that occurs as well. So the same thing happens within CPS. So when we began to look at the, at the systems and we could pinpoint where the data was coming on and predict that you, if you live in a certain date, zip code, that the data was showing that there's a high risk of abuse and neglect in that area. But the truth is, is that it was related more or less to poverty, poverty, right. neglect, slash poverty. And so we had to um, go into all of the different communities and do grassroots work with the families and the community. Okay, yeah. Because based on those numbers, that's how they targeted the community. I think that's yeah. kind of key. They target black communities because of these numbers, and that may or may not be applicable. You know, they're just numbers. They're not real, um, you know, they're not looking at people and individuals and situations and, like she said, poverty. And so then they're just making these sweeping brushes to say, well, all black people, all people who live in this community are black and they're guilty, and so these are the people that we target and we look at them. And it, and it goes back to the recognition, Brother Terrence, and I'm going to let it go, but it goes back to the recognition of us as chattel, not as people. We we belong. You know, this system looks at, there still doesn't look at the black family as being separate from really the slave system where they own um, us. They, they believe they own our children and our families. And so. Yeah. And, yeah. and part of my discussion and part of my discussion for that, and, you know, I really want to always thank Dr. Ava, because um, one of the gifts in Dr. Ava, not only just being a national spokesperson, she's a lawyer, uh, and she knows how to prosecute, how and how to defend. She's one of the best defenders of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and she studies. She's not just emotional. She has passion in her delivery, but she does research. As you see her having all her written notes, so she gets the data. She's part of the research team to get all of the information to make the case. I say that is because what is going on, when we look at how people manipulate the data and the numbers, they say, you know, just as you say, well, we got this based off this zip code, these problems, there's abuse in this community, so we got to send these caseworkers out in these communities but the issue and the reality is there's a lot more abuse that's going on in the white community that just doesn't get reported or calls made. 
Um, me growing up in a white community at a young age, before I started switching over to the blacks, I remember the white children drinking the parents' alcohol, using the parents' drugs, and the parents being gone. And we talk about neglect. Parents would be gone for days and leave the children at home to do whatever they wanted to do. But there was no phone calls, so there was no data to say we need to go into these communities or we're just not going to even worry about those phone calls. And I use that because police today will say that the reason why we're in the black community is because y'all are the ones that call 911, even though we know there's more drug sales and there's more drug use in white children in the community um, than in the black community based off the CDC numbers. Um, but we know those phone calls are not made in those communities or those reports are not made. So it's very critical that we connect that whole piece. When you said it's not just the data and the numbers of calls, but it's also connected. Abuse is connected to poverty. It's connected to uh, the environmental things, and that's why the minister said we have to make our communities a decent and safe place to live. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving what you all are sharing because I think we need to know how they are working on us, and I just like, you know, you all have, we, we have this show, we have a few more minutes to kind of give us some solutions of how to combat this, how to deal with this stuff that's going on to our children. Either one of you can jump in. I think that you hit on it uh, very, very well and very succinctly, uh, and that we have to encourage our parents and encourage our communities to continue to do the work that we're doing, the work that you're doing, uh, the programs that you're having to have healthy communities and healthy um, families to stay connected and safe during the coronavirus outbreak, uh, that maybe we can, within the community, help our, our families, our parents understand that, you know, we need to have rules for ourselves and rules for our children. Some of the things that we've already talked about, even even down to um, explaining to children the importance of practicing social distances and, you know, setting reinforcement, positive boundaries and all of those things, and talking to parents themselves how to manage their own individual stresses. There's so much, there's so much until it's really hard um, to put everything together in just one, um, one time. But I just think that, as we continue to adjust to how we have to live differently, work differently, learn differently, and and even uh, have fun differently, we need to really always remember that there is um, an incredible resiliency among our families, our black families, and our children. And I would like to see us uplift some of the positive things that are happening within the community and, and the things that the families themselves are learning how to cope. And I think that um, if we all kind of work towards that, that, you know, we can continue work both inside and outside of the home to help each other. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, sir. And, and just real fast, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say, because I know we have the time, for me, you know, it was the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan for me that in the early 90s, he he made the statement about who were our youth, who you know, and he talked about the cultivation, how our our children will be who we cultivate them to be, and he you know, and so that negative perception that is often attached to our families who may be poor but not necessarily um, 
you know, ill ill meaning. They're not criminals. They're not people who want to harm. We want to be upwardly mobile, so we have to look at our people through the eyes of what the minister teaches us and then get out there and make our communities safe and decent places to live. Um, and, and, and I think we can solve this problem. All right. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I want to, oh, there she goes. I heard that voice. <laughs> so I'm like the voice of God just came out of nowhere. No, no, I've been here. Did you... I'm listening, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I didn't want. It. I didn't know if you had anything to add. You know, I'm thinking about the educational paradigm uh, study guide 21. I knew we had someone who was part of the guest conversation because I, I really want to, you know, really have this conversation of we see what the system is doing to us, but. You know, what are some things that we should be looking to do, like I said, for ourselves? What are those those tools? So I'm, I'm trying to pull out of you all. We know what they're attacking and doing to us, but giving the callers and giving our listeners some practical and tangible things that we should be doing in our homes and uh, how we should set things up. Um, i give you an example. Uh, in my particular home, I'm always coming to the office, coming to the office, but COVID-19, my job offered to say, like, if you need something to make your home a place where you can work instead of coming to the office because of COVID, you know, I had to set that up. So what are the things that, you know, we need to have for our children? Like my home, I got, I got the, I got the VHS, I got the DVDs, you know, I got all the stuff in the minister. I got stats and stats of books. So as far as the spiritual component, I have those things, you know, we stock up our food and make our homes ready to stay for COVID. So how do we prepare our homes and, how do you create this environment, a beautiful learning environment? I'm not a teacher, so I don't know. I, I don't work with children directly on a day-to-day basis, so I don't know what those things would be. So that's why I'm asking these questions, to help give some advice or some clues in for our listeners. Well, like we talked about before, make sure that you stage your area uh, where your child is going to be so that you're limited in what is being seen. And then if you cannot stage your area, simple things, knowing that the teachers and anyone can really pretty much peer into your home. Um, I don't know if, if uh, they are recording and uh, whatever, but, but anything that CPS, if, if it is being recorded, then CPS can get, the information, they can get the recording. So understanding that, then you need to protect yourself and so make sure that if you can't position yourself or stage it, then make sure that it's free of debris and clean. Be careful about who's walking backwards and forwards. Be careful about what kind of clothes you have on, what kind of clothes your children have on. Just simple, simple things. Think about it like your kid is going to school. Okay, so before... Your kid goes to school. You want to get them a good night's sleep. You want to make sure they get to class on time. You want them dressed appropriately. They're here. The same thing that you would do if they were going to school, you need to do the same thing in your home. Don't relax and think just because they're at home, you're not supposed to do those things. So that's something very simple that parents can do. And then I'll let Sister Pam go ahead and add to that. And, and Brother Terrence, when we did this earlier, we had some parents on who spoke, and we had some teachers who gave those particular schedules. But, you know, imagine this, a child sitting in front of a screen, 
50-minute time intervals, and they're pretty much required to do this all day. And so one mom talked about how maybe you want to have the snack, you know, a little bag of snacks if you can, possible, you know, in, in proximity. You know, we talked about scheduling, you know, having routine, you know, just kind of do the same thing every day. It might be three things that you write down, but you've got to schedule and have a routine um, that you do and repeat because this is not just free time. You know, it, it, it's actually something that's being you know, you're you're being accountable for, which is the outcome. And the productivity will be that the child, you know, does excel. And so reading to your child, if you could do that for 30 minutes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you know, just developing schedules and routines um, and actually following up with teachers. But, again, you know, our whole job, Brother Terrence, was to encourage people to say, you know, that God is in you and be confident and be comfortable and don't, you know, listen to the negativity about how this is such a something over your heads. Well, you know, even if you're poor, because that was our mantra, just because you're poor, that doesn't mean that you can't take care of your children, which is how this system penalizes our people. So, you know, there's just so much. And, and get a support system and I think that's why those of us who are on this line and listening, we have to really put it on our list of things to do to help support. Like for us, every year with the coalition, we give a back-to-school. We do, you know, one of those back-to-school supplies, and, you know, we meet over in a park, and we give away the things that children need. Well, this year we bought some whiteboards. And we haven't really given them away yet. We've been kind of collecting the whiteboards because this is what you need in a virtual learning environment. So we have to be more generous and, and get outside of our comfort zone and, and really be these Jesuses out here in these communities and help our people. And, um, you know, keep records. That's one thing I just wanted to end in saying with our parents, you know, keep your, keep your records. Put them in a, a can, a box, a trash bag, wherever, just Put your stuff, put your child's work consistently, you know, as they finished it, as they worked on it, for the purpose of storing, you know, put it in one location, you know. And, and so these are the type of routines and schedules. And, and, and at, at, the very, at the last, you know, be flexible and laugh and play some games sometimes with the children and, and, and be patient. Um, so you know those those are some of the pointers, but we you can we can do this, and and that's what we wanted to leave our our people with the understanding that, you know this this is this is something that is not beyond our abilities, and our children will will bet be better, you know we believe for for our efforts. So yes, we yeah, I want to just add real, real quick to that because we did do a lot of very, very practical things. Uh, we gave them a lot of practical advice and uh, wanted to just make sure that this is really still a really good opportunity for parents to be able to also track, help the kids track their homework. You know, be aware of the deadlines, you know, mm. and make for yourself deadlines. So if a parent is at home, then one thing that would be good is, you know, just to make sure that they have on their cell phone um, some type of alarm that goes off 
10 to 15 minutes before one class ends so that they can help to track the kids and help them out in this environment and make them sure that they're ready and that they've done their homework. And, and the most important thing is to, uh, for parents to try to have a positive relationship with the child's teacher. Look at the teacher as, um, as someone, as a support system, as an ally. We've said a lot of different things, but you want to start off really with making sure that you let the teacher know that you're there, you're there to support your child's learning, and you consider them um, someone that can help. And then, uh, again, listen to your own gut feelings and listen to your child. Mm. You know, as I, as I left, yeah. yes, ma'am. Oh, no, I was going to, I'll wait, because I was going to just make some closing remarks as we're about at the end. <laughs> this has yes, been ma'am. very enlightening, very enlightening. You know, and, and it's a wonderful discussion. And the basis, you know, for me, a, a, a takeaway before we bring on Dr. Ava to close out, my, my takeaway from this whole conversation is that, you know, I'm looking for these different things. I'm looking for y'all to drop this and drop this and tell me this and tell me this and tell me this. And all that y'all told me is the things that we supposedly have been doing in the first place. And I think somebody had mentioned that is that yeah. the way we supposed to take care of our children, like check their homework. We supposed to be checking their homework. We supposed to make our homes a decent place for a learning environment for our children. Uh, in other words, COVID shouldn't have done that, but COVID has forced us to do that. COVID has forced us to be uh, actively engaged in our children's work. And now we have to log them on and get their accounts and work with the school to make sure that our children are on their virtual learning and that they have a place to do that, that they have the proper snacks and food uh, to do that. You know, Zoom has different things where you can do different screens, but we got to actually now clean up the house you know, or make it a decent place, like you said, stage the setting for the child to have his optimum learning. Um, and, you know, one of the things you also, that was also brought up is listening to our children. Like, that's one of the things that we don't do. We don't listen to our children or we don't pay attention to what really is going on in the school system. So, um, you know, it's 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 a real interesting conversation. How, and I've said this many times that COVID nineteen has really put a a a bright light on the disparities in just about every field that we deal deal with economics, um, um, economic, judicial, healthcare, food deserts. All that stuff has been highlighted more in COVID-19. So the, the wake of all these children going back not only to elementary, middle, and high school, but also even in college, uh, we have been seeing a lot. The whole college discussion is now it's like, well, why was I paying all these thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars to go to this institution when I could have been at home learning and getting the same thing and they had to reshape the whole system and curriculum. So there's a lot of different discussions going on yes, about sir. our educational system. Well, you know, just to uh, go back, circle back to what Sister Donna brought up about um, the, the writings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, mm-hmm. the uh, destruction of the the educational system began about 40 years ago, and it's rooted in the will of God. Um, and and that is what Minister Farrakhan pointed out about transitioning. 
when when you're transitioning uh, from one reality to another, and, and we're living in a universal change. So this is dramatic. You know, we're witnessing the final collapse of the institutions of America, uh, the health care system was exposed by COVID, uh, the educational system, and, and public education is, is relatively recent and very recent in human history, but very recent, relatively recent in U.S. history. And what we're returning to is what is natural. And there, there is going to be a, a time period, we're all going through it right now, the difficulty of, of making that transition because in the 20th century a system was created and you all talked about it earlier where parents go to work and children go to school and uh, see one another just a few hours at the end of the day and less than that at the beginning of the day and the black community has been hit very hard by the the destruction of the bond between uh, parent and child. Now we are experiencing a return to that because none of these institutions or systems are ever going to return to what they were. I was just on a panel discussion and listening to some medical professionals, um, one in particular who who was, you know, actively recruiting uh, black people and insisting on the importance of us participating in these clinical trials to get a COVID-19 vaccine out by the end of this year. And the the brother who was speaking on it is is brilliant with an incredible uh, resume. But as he spoke, frankly, I kept thinking about Minister Farrakhan's categories of enemies and that third one being scared to death, Negroes. And he was oblivious to the questions coming from the viewers in, in the chat room you know, regarding the, the safety, regarding the, the history of vaccinations, which I had laid out earlier, and I, I had to come back and, and, and take some points on him. For example, the Food and Drug Administration only requires 50% effectiveness to green light a vaccination. Now, what, what type of nation... Uh, is satisfied with 50% effectiveness. I don't. I never took any class. I don't remember from K through Juris Doctorate where 50 was anything but an F. It was a failure. This right. means one out of two people uh, that get this vaccination. One in one of them, it does not work. And and you know it it, it it's amazing that when confronted with one question by a person about us working on our own therapies, which I had presented in opening what Minister Farrakhan and the nation are doing, um, and in fact we we spent a lot of time on it yesterday. There will be a major conference call next week. And pulling together the brilliance that is in the black community to uh, 
vet and to utilize and give our people guidelines on therapies other than having someone inject you with a uh, vaccine that already they've already acknowledged this is to alter our DNA and in all likelihood will be a massive failure. But the brothers used this phrase. He said, we need the numbers. We don't have the black and brown people uh, that we need to do these clinical trials. And then he expressed fear and concern over the fact that about well over 40% of the uh, population across America is saying they're not going to take any vaccine. And he said Mm -hmm. we need 75% of the people to get vaccinated in order uh, to reach immunity. And and it just demonstrates uh, a complete inability to think for ourselves. And and this is where we undergo a test individually, but then also as a community, you know, returning to what we used to do in segregation. We took care of each other. Sister Pamela and I were talking this afternoon. We didn't rush off to the hospital with every little thing that went wrong. We're we're so dependent now. You know, we can't even, uh, a lot of the brothers can't even go up under the hood of a car and change the battery. You know, it, 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 we have become completely dependent. So I, I just wanted to lift this from the minister, from uh, the criterion. He said, our iniquitous behavior is a pestilence on the earth. So God answers with a pestilence. Punishment from God's pestilence is to turn against you. The things that you depend on for your sustenance. So we have depended on a public school system. We have depended uh, upon jobs. We've depended upon a uh, postal system that's worked effectively for 240 years that started before there even was a United States. There was a postal service. And Trump appoints a man, and in 70 days, he's ruined it. That's how you know Allah put Trump in there, because all of our institutions are being destroyed before the ultimate purpose of forcing us to separate from our enemy and go for self. Right. Yep. That's right. So we, this has been an incredible evening, uh, and, and I know I just heard the last uh, last 45 minutes or so um, of the program, but the, the information, first of all, just identifying the issue, I think a lot of us may not have been aware of right. some of the issues surrounding remote learning. Uh, the, the president of Howard University was on, Chuck Todd's news program today, and he said that. He said the only thing being discussed about remote learning is Wi-Fi, whether everybody has Wi-Fi. But there are a lot more things that are needed by children other than Wi-Fi. But as Sister Pamela and the sisters are talking about, the primary thing a child needs are parents. 
Come on. And up until a hundred years ago, children were got their primary education at home. By the time they left home, uh, which is at the age uh, now you'd be completing high school, and if they did go to uh, an institution of higher learning, they were already deeply rooted in in self knowledge. But I see it's we're out of time. My apologies. <laughs> yes. So thank you, Brother Terrence, uh, for carrying this, and I want to thank all the members of the panel uh, that enlightened us this evening, and of course, Sister Rona Muhammad, Sister Mariam Kay, and Sister Pamela. You and you and your guests were just phenomenal. Hopefully, we can continue. Um, this kind of discussion. Yes, I appreciate the time you all gave uh, to this. Oh, so, Mila, thank you, thank you so thank much you. for giving the platform. Thank oh, anytime, come come back because this isn't over yet. And when this is over, when this, uh, as the minister said, Allah's indignation in this virus, when it passes, that's when we really have work to do. Because we've got to now set up our own institutions. So may Allah bless us all with love and the light of understanding. As we leave you in peace. Assalamu alaikum. Wow. Thank you. Bye bye.